Welcome to Diverse, the podcast of the Society of Women Engineers. SWE is a catalyst for change in the engineering industry, and one of the biggest ways we inspire that change is through our annual SWE Conference for Women Engineers and Technologists. This year's conference, WE21 in Indianapolis, Indiana, will help attendees at all ages and stages learn, connect, and grow. Join us for three days of networking and relationship building, over 250 professional development sessions, three inspirational keynotes, and a career fair featuring more than 300 exhibitors. Let's aspire to inspire at WE21, October 21st through the 23rd. Head to we21.swe.org for more info and to register. everyone. I'm Karen Hording, Executive Director and CEO of the Society of Women Engineers, or SWE. And I'm Ann Prusik, the Director of Publications at SWE. Welcome to SWE's diverse podcast series. Please remember to add this podcast to your iTunes and like or follow us on social media. Visit swe.org for more details. We are joined today by SWE Fellows Jill Tejan and Judy Ninch. Jill is a past society president, life member, and is the author of 10 books, as well as a national speaker. She has served on the board of directors of Georgia Transmission Corporation since 1997, and for the past 11 years, she has served on the board of directors of Merrick and Company. And Judy is the now retired founding principal of Niche Engineering a woman-owned engineering firm with 120 employees headquartered in Boston with offices in Washington, D.C., as well as Worcester and Lawrence, Massachusetts. She has been on the board of Pannoni since 2012 and the board of Ayers St. Gross since 2017. She has a B.S. in civil engineering from Worcester Polytechnic Institute. Thank you both for joining us today. I'd like to start by talking, both of our panelists have served on their SWE section boards, as well as many other nonprofit organizations and for-profit firm boards during their careers. How did that experience influence your decision, decision to join a corporate board some 30 years later? Well, I'm happy, to start on this. I'm happy to start on this. I had never served on any boards at all during college. And when I got out of college and joined the Sweet Chapter in Boston, I immediately got involved. And I think I did that because my parents were always involved in things. So I thought that's what one was supposed to do. And the SWE board and the various committees I worked on were such good training ground on how to do things. And the beauty about SWE Boston was that there were a lot of younger members that were involved. And we got opportunities that we wouldn't have gotten in any other organizations, such as the Boston Society of Civil Engineers or other groups. So you got to learn how to do things. And honestly, we didn't really do everything right or well, but we learned from it. And I used that experience to then become a member of the board of the Boston Society of Civil Engineers section of ASCE, and then other boards, and then the corporate boards came after. So I think it's really important to understand how do boards operate? What's the role of the president? What's the role of a director? And that local experience with SWE was a really a game changer for me. Yeah, I love that. You know, we, we talk a lot about SWE being a safe space. And I, you know, I love that you talked about how it wasn't always right, but you learned from it. Exactly. Right. And Jill, how, how about you? 
Well, for me, SWE was really my entree, my springboard is what I call it, into my corporate board career. And I actually was very involved in organizations all the way through junior high school and high school and college and didn't find SWE until three years after I graduated from college and joined basically on the spot. And then because I was 1991, 1992 fiscal year national president, I was actually invited to serve as a moderator on a panel at a conference that my company was helping to organize. It was at the time called the Utility Women's Conference. And because I met a woman at that conference who was an attorney in Washington, D.C., and she was helping at a later point in time, some number of years down the road, help with a company in Georgia, Oglethorpe Power, that was splitting into three pieces, she actually recommended me to sit on that corporate board so that I was elected to in 1997 that I still serve on. And so for me, SWE was the springboard. Having been on the SWE, what was called the Denver section board and president, then the Rocky Mountain section, which was the same thing, just renamed, and then on the national board, showed me how to be on a board, taught me appropriate behaviors, gave me the knowledge and skills that I needed so that I was elected to the Georgia Transmission Board in 1997. Yeah, I, I love that example as well, Jill, because we talk about the importance of networking. And I think your example of you know being at a conference and getting to meet others, also a great springboard for these opportunities. Absolutely. So in our current edition of the SWE magazine, our theme is actually transforming corporate boards. And as we're discussing different boards and the importance of diversifying them, I'd like to know how things were when you started in your board experience, and is there any difference today? Well, I'll start on that one, and this is Jill. And in 1997, when I joined the board of Georgia Transmission, there was a 13-member board, and another woman and I were elected to that board, a very dear friend of mine. And... There are, as I think I said, Oglethorpe Power split into three parts, and there are three separate boards and three separate companies. And since 1997, there have been no women on either of the other two company-affiliated boards. And I, Dugene and I were on the board together from 97 to 2004. Then I was the only woman to 2008 when there was another woman from 2008 to 2010. And then I was the only woman again until this past February, when there's now another woman on the board with me. And when I was elected to the Merrick board in 2010, I was the only woman. I think I was the only woman for about four years, maybe five years. And then there were two. And then the state of Colorado and women in the state of Colorado who sat on corporate boards actually put an initiative together to get three women on every corporate board that was based in Colorado. And Merrick actually made it to three. And although I'm no longer on the board as of June of this year, I'm delighted to report that there are now four women on that board. Judy, have uh, you observed any changes? That is wonderful to hear, Jill. (laughs) So when I joined the Pannoni board about nine years ago, there was one African-American man on the board one other outside director who was an older white man, engineer, and all the rest were internal employees and they were all white men. 
And so I came on from the female perspective and they added another woman engineer to the board, a former uh, state utility agency employee. Earlier this year, I think she joined or the end of last year. And they understand, I think, the importance of having different voices in the room. And there's been over over the years I've been on that board, there's been other outside board members that have been brought in and out a few times. And but one of the other things that we did there was they started bringing their regional vice presidents in for each had a year appointment where they would come to all the board meetings. And it gave them an idea of what was going on in the board meetings and how they could help. And one of the things that always struck me was um, different members of the RVP group would always come up to me and say, oh, I'm so glad you said blah, 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 because that really needed to be said. And so, you know, they realized that we have a way to bring things up as outside directors that perhaps there isn't a way to bring them up otherwise. And so I think it's interesting adding a, another woman to the board who is from an agency and to see what her input will be over time. On the Air St. Gross board, I'm the second outside director. They're an ESOP firm, and the other five directors are all internal employees among the leadership group in the firm. And I'm the second woman on their board. And they're, I would say, a very highly evolved firm as far as corporate governance goes. And with their change to being an ESOP about 10 years ago, they have really um, focused on better board governance. And I think it really shows in the performance of the firm. So I think boards are evolving as people become aware of it. I'll add one more, which is the Eastern Bank Board. They've been our company's bank since I think 1994, but they went public last fall. And so now I'm on what's called their board of advisors. But probably 10 years ago, the bank president put together a uh, advisory committee to the board to help them identify people of color, LGBTQ members, women, you know, other people that would help that bank's board. And many people on that committee were existing advisors to the board with some minority or differentiation, as well as a group of white men as well. And that board, because the president, a white male, put a focus on changing the board diversity, they have absolutely achieved it. But he understood that's not his area of expertise. He doesn't have those networks. And so he brought in the people that did have those networks to help identify potential board members. So yeah, I think- The point I love there, Judy, is it was intentional. Absolutely, right? it, yes. It, it, just yep. does, it just doesn't happen. You have to be very intentional about yes. it. That's exactly what I was going to say. It really does show it. it has to come at the very top and be intentional. So boards today are facing some really unprecedented challenges in terms of cyber attacks, the climate change risks and investment upheaval to just name a few. So getting back to the point of a better board might be a diverse board. How does that help navigate such minefields? Well, I'll start on this one. I think every board member should be picked based on what can they bring to the company. Personally, I wouldn't be selected for my knowledge of preventing cyber attacks. You know, that's not my strong suit. What is my highest and best use will be part of the discussion that the board nominating committee would 
have to consider when they bring anybody on. But I think every single board member comes with a different set of expertise. Something happened during COVID, and I was at a board meeting for one of the outside boards I'm on, and I shared what niche engineering had done uh, for our employees. And this firm wasn't aware of it. It was a federal program. And they were able to do something for their employees because I knew about it because my firm had done it. And so we bring things to the firm based on our particular area of expertise or our experiences. And, you know, I think it is important today to have people that are really focused on the negatives that can happen on a board, like investment upheaval or cyber attacks. But then when you look at some of the things like climate change risks, you know, much of my work has focused on that, and as does Air St. Gross. So you know, that is a nice dovetail with what they do from a work perspective. But my knowledge of that is helpful for me to be a better director, but it's not really one of the, it's one of the reasons why I was interesting to them as a potential board member, but I wouldn't say it's the reason why I was selected. I think it was all of my experiences put together that they thought would be helpful for the firm. Right. And, and Judy, what, what I think you're, at the bottom of what you're talking about is something that actually I've seen many times, both on nonprofit boards as well as corporate boards. And that is that many companies put together skills matrices for their board and they want to make sure that they have government expertise and they want to make sure they have regulatory expertise and they want to make sure they have financial expertise and all of those kinds of things. And by the time you're finished with listing what the skills can be and what the criteria are for the board members, you can put slots in that matrix for gender. You can put slots for ethnicity. You can put slots for technical expertise. You can put slots for everything and see how you end up with that skills matrix. And what I learned many, many years ago, actually in a Leadership Denver experience, was that you need all kinds of brain types and thinking styles. And it makes the the process more difficult because everyone doesn't start in the same place, but it makes the result so much better when you have all those diverse ways of thinking and perspectives. And if you're not representing your client base on your board, if you're not representing your workforce composition on your board, then then the company is actually depriving itself perspectives and information and points of view and thoughts that could actually help make it a a better run organization, a better functioning organization. You're absolutely right, Jill. And I I think it's that we may bring something up at a board meeting that they hadn't thought about yet. So then they're able to deal with it on a proactive basis rather than having to react to the, you know, who knows what that has gone on in the world that has now affected their firm. So if they can do more proactive outreach or preparation, the firm is better off. And that's one of the benefits that we bring as outside directors. Well, Jill, I, I love your, your skills matrix example. I, I think that's a good segue to our next question, which is, in what ways do you think engineers are positioned to help boards better address the coming challenges? Well, I'm, I'm going to start this one. And I go back to a story that I heard many years ago when, and I live in Denver, 
Colorado, and there was a huge expansion project that was going on on Interstate 25. There was an oversight committee. It was called the T-Rex project because it was so large. And someone told me that on this advisory board or the oversight board for this project, there was not one engineer. And I, I just went, what, what are you people thinking? You know, this is a, it's an infrastructure project. It's a road building project. There was road, there was light rail, there was express lanes. I mean, all of these kinds of things involved in this project. And what do engineers bring? Well, my answer when I was looking at the script and preparing is engineers solve problems. We're actually taught how to identify the information that's pertinent to solving this problem from the universe of information that is provided. That's what they teach you in, in those daggone little word problems when you're going through engineering school. And so you identify identifying what the problem is to start with, then thinking of potential solutions, evaluating solutions and selecting the one that is the best solution from a wide variety of characteristics that need to be thought about. And this is now taught in engineering education in the capstone design course, where you look at the technical issues and you look at the social issues and you look at the cost issues and you look at the environmental issues and you think about all of those things together in the process of moving forward. And engineers do that as, that's what we do. That's how we think. And so that analytical thinking really can be highly beneficial as one of the components on a corporate board in making those decisions. I totally agree with what Jill said, and I'm going to take it one step further that us as women engineers bring not only those areas of expertise and that ability to explain things, but we have a different perspective. You know, we have been the only one in the room for so long and we know what it's like to feel a certain way. And I've never been accused of being shy. So I'm always there opening up my mouth and sharing, okay, here's what the consequences are of that, or here's why this is done this way, or, you know, whatever the situation is, but we do have a different perspective. And I think we are also as women, generally, we tend to be able to articulate things a little better and we can explain things. And because of our different backgrounds and our ability to explain, I think we're able to get people to move on an issue, move the process along and help bring a conclusion to an issue. Yeah. Well, from both of your examples, I would say that every corporate board needs to have at least one woman engineer as a director. I would agree. <laughs> All right. We have a new goal. <laughs> so it's a great goal. Yes. Add yes. that. <laughs> add that to the ops plan for this year. <laughs> so Judy, in your Viewpoint article in this edition of SWE Magazine, you mentioned the importance of a public persona for business development. Could you elaborate on that a bit? Sure. Many of you are probably familiar with the Myers-Briggs and the typical engineer, from what I understand, is an ISTJ. I'm an ESTJ, which is an extroverted typical engineer. And for me, I've always been involved in outside organizations and have been the face of my, each of my companies that I have worked at. I've worked at three different firms. And I enjoy being out there. I enjoy being involved in community issues or industry issues. 
and I've become very engaged. And so being on a couple of college boards of trustees, I've you know, been involved. And I think from my firm perspective, though, being in business development is that you know, consulting engineering firms, you have to get the work in order to do the work. Most engineers are very, very well suited to do the work, but the, we're not taught in engineering school how to get the work. And so my role at my firms has always been business development, being out there, getting to know clients, potential clients, finding out about upcoming projects, figuring out how can we get on a team, strategizing, making sure I can figure out how to get close to whoever the likely winner is of a project uh, competition. And, you know, people do business with people they like and trust. And if they don't know you, they certainly aren't going to like you or trust you. They have to know you. And so I've always been involved in giving talks at conferences, trying to get a client panel together to give a talk at a conference and letting them know that I care about them and we're going to do a really good job at this conference and, you know, let you shine. And so I think that experience in my career from my job at work has really helped me get on boards because I've been out there at organizational professional conferences and people have gotten to know me or they've heard of me. And, and quite honestly, and I'm sure Jill has the same experience, you know, being a woman engineer, you already kind of stick out. And so that's really a nice way. And, and people say, wow, she's an engineer. That's different. And that took something to get to be an engineer. And, you know, I now have 45 years experience as an engineer. So I've had a long time to get out there and um, get known. And that public persona has been so critical for me because that's what got me my opportunities on all of my boards. And Judy, you said 45 years and I went, that means we're exactly the same number of years of experience. And I, <laughs> and I, and I just want to add, Yes, we are unique as women engineers, and certainly from the beginning of our careers, we have stood out. But what happens, like you're talking about, when you give a presentation at a conference and something that, that people don't always think about, when you make a presentation, everyone in that audience that hears your presentation knows who you are. You may not know them, but they, now they know you. And I would also like to emphasize something that I do a lot is in addition to speaking, which I do often, is I also write. And so writing articles for magazines, writing articles, professional articles for journals and things like that are also ways to establish your public persona, to establish your expertise so that when people think about a certain topic, they may be able to associate your name with it. And that helps you become the expert in that area. Exactly. Giving a talk at a conference, you are automatically an expert. And it's a great resume builder, too, for the younger people that are listening to this podcast. So interestingly, when we talk about the public persona, hand in hand with that is the importance of networking, which I know we've touched upon a bit. But can you speak a little bit about how networking specifically can be used to continue to diversify boards? Everything you hear about from boards that are trying to become diverse, everything you're, you hear is that the current members say, well, I don't know any fill in the blank, minority engineers, women executives, blah, blah, blah. And 
you know, their networks are not that wide and broad and people, you know, I mean, I probably know more women engineers than any guy I know, but that's because that's what I am. And so you can understand why they don't really have a variety of people in their networks. So the more we can network personally with other groups, the better off we will be in the future. You never know who you meet, you know, today will give you an opportunity in 20 or 30 years. And so you've always got to be out there working your network and, and getting known. And, you know, if you leave work and go home every night and don't do anything besides work, you're not going to be building a network. And that may feel as if you're a young engineer listening to this, that may feel comfortable for you right now. But in fact, I would say you need to be out there and developing your network as a young engineer. There's a book called Rainmaking that I've used for years whenever I give a talk on networking. And the Rainmaking book says, if you have a robust network in your 20s, you will be a very good business developer when you're in your 40s and 50s, when you're expected to bring work into your company. And this obviously relates to consulting engineering work like I do. But if you start trying to build a network in your 40s, you won't have it until you're in your 60s. And so you're not going to be as effective. So start now. I mean, yeah, there's a a certain amount of, of work that it takes. But honestly, the people that I've met throughout my career through organizations are wonderful people and they've become dear friends of mine. So, you know, it's not like you're being coerced. Yes, coerced. Good. Thank you. Yeah. You know, do it because it's fun and you're meeting people. And you know, and if, the, if you go to an organization meeting and you don't really like it, try another organization. Doesn't mean because one doesn't work that they all won't. Just keep going out there. Right. And Judy, what you just said reminded me in early in my career, I had fortunately found SWE, which is a very important organization in my life. In fact, I consider SWE a family unit. But I decided I joined IEEE. I'm an electrical engineer. And I went to my first meeting in the in the mid 80s. And I think I was the only woman at the meeting. And everyone else who was there who was not a woman ignored me. And I actually never went back. But I did find many other organizations to be part of and to be active in. And the reason why the networking piece is so important for the corporate boards is that approximately 80%, it's the old standard 80-20 rule, about 80% of corporate board positions are found through people's networks. And so it's very, very important to meet everyone that you can. I loved what you said, Judy, about getting started in your 20s. And I do have a recommendation for another book, about networking, and it's called Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi. And it's an amazing book about how to do the networking and how to do it right. This is not throwing your business cards at people. This is actually developing relationships that will sustain over the long term, that will turn, as you said, into friendships and relationships over the long term. Absolutely. The Keith's book is a great one. I agree with you. So Judy, in your article, you talked about how one opportunity leads to another. And since we were just talking about the importance of networking in your 20s, is there a strategy that you might want to share additionally for college and our early career listeners? Absolutely. I've done a lot of hiring in my day. And I would say for the, for the college students that are listening, I just want you to know as an employer... 
if I have a choice between an A plus student who has done nothing except for school and a B average student who has been involved in organizations and has taken leadership opportunities in those organizations, that's who I would hire is that B average student who's been involved. Quite frankly, that was me in college too. But I want someone who can work with people, who can work as a team, who's learned from you know, being involved as a college student in various organizations. And again, I would give a plug for the Sweet Chapter. They're such an important group. And I'll give you one example. I was asked by the Sweet Chapter at WPI, where I went to college, Worcester Polytechnic Institute, to give a talk to them. It was in, I think it was the fall of 19. It was pre-COVID. And so I met at the campus center in the Dunkin' Donuts there. I met the Panhel chair and the SWE section president, because it was going to be a joint meeting. And we were sitting there talking about it. And of course, I'm asking them about summer jobs, what have you been doing? What are you looking to do? And one of the other trustees walked by, who was a very, very, very big shot in a big Fortune 100 company. And I called him over. <laughs> I said, Mark, I said, come over here. You need to meet these two women. And and he gave them each his card. And, and he said, absolutely reach out to me if you're looking for a job. And so I turned to the two of them and I, after he left and I said, this is an example of what you need to do for people. I said, you know, I've just done you a favor and it makes me very happy to do this. But in fact, you're a leader in an organization. It got you the opportunity and now you've just met someone. And, you know, it, it like that's how networking happens. I said, keep his business card, even if you don't need him or, a, you know, a job from his company at this point, at some day you will, or you'll know somebody who wants to. And you can remind him, oh, we met it such and such with Judy at WPI. So I think just getting involved, get out there. And for the early career listeners, I will say you are the only person who is responsible for your own personal professional development. You need to get out there and make an investment in your own future. Even if your company won't pay, let's say for your SWE membership or your ASCE membership or IEEE or whatever your organization is, you should pay that. You should become a member. You should go to the meetings and get involved on a committee, get to know people. And like Jill said earlier, if it's not interesting or they don't talk to you, try a different organization. Um, but again, you can't just go home after work. You have to get involved in your own personal professional development. It'll help you get a job in the future. It'll help you get opportunities that you don't even know are going to be out there for you because if you haven't made this connection, it wouldn't be a potential opportunity for you. Right. And Judy, it's so interesting to me talk because I actually have I've written articles about opportunities and taking advantage of opportunities. You have to keep your eyes open when things come your way and you're debating, you know, should I do this or shouldn't I do this? I would actually recommend that almost all of the time that you say yes to opportunity, you prepare yourself, you make sure you don't exclude yourself. And because, as, as you said, Judy, you never know where these opportunities will take you. And I want to give a specific example related to, again, SWE, which has been for me very career and life determining. And in 1987, you know, now more than a long time ago, one of my SWE colleagues, Alexis Swoboda, went to the SWE, which was called National Conference at that point in time in Kansas City, and came back to Denver and said, Jill, I found this program that we ought to do as an outreach program. It's an essay contest on great women in engineering and science. And whatever Alexis said to me, I always said, you know, Alexis, that's a great idea. 
And so we started the essay contest in Denver, which has been going on since 1988. But that led me to preparing nominations for women for awards. It led me to books. It led me to where I am now in my life. I mean, it provided so many opportunities for me. And what did it look like at the time? Well, Thomas Edison has a saying, most people don't recognize opportunity because it comes dressed in overalls and looks like work. And that's, that's true. <laughs> that's, that's what great. It, and, you know, that's what it was. It, it, it didn't look like an opportunity to me. I mean, it just sounded interesting. I'm a learner. I wanted to learn more. And so I took it up, but it became career and life determining. And so my advice is just seize those opportunities when they come your way, because you don't know how it's going to evolve and how it's going to enrich your life. I'm going to add one more thing to what Jill just said, because I totally agree. You know, early in your career, an opportunity comes along, definitely say yes. But to bring us back to today's topic, which is being on boards, I think, you know, as you're further along in your career and get opportunities, I think it's a really important thing to really ponder on personally, because there may be a very heady feeling about being invited to be on a board and you want to say yes. But in fact, if you really think about it, you need to understand, am I the best person for them? And are they the best organization for me to in, in which to invest my time? Because on a board, you, you can't be a slacker. I mean, you need to participate. You need to come to the meetings. You need to feel like you have a, an interest in whatever it is that this organization or this company is doing. And I've said no to more board opportunities than I've said yes to. And private corporate boards, one was a women-owned business in Chicago that I just didn't have the time to spend. And it was, you know, to get to Chicago was from Boston is, is you know, it's going to take time. I had another opportunity through a headhunter to be on a board of a architecture firm based in the upper Midwest with, a, I think, five offices or so. But I realized where their headquarters was, it was at least two legs of a flight and probably three. They met every other month for a full day. So it was going to be three days and the pay was almost nothing. And I said, it's, my time is worth more than this. Thank you. But there's probably somebody who's more local or is more engaged or interested. And, but I remember telling the headhunter, if this firm was in New York City, I would do this in a heartbeat. But just because of where they were, it wasn't going to work out for me. Another firm uh, through a headhunter had reached out to me and I just wasn't engaged in the kind of work that they did. And they were at the Pacific Northwest. And so, you know, I didn't really have connections there that I, I felt like I could really help them as much as I would have liked to. But interesting, one of my dear sweet friends in the Boston area is putting an advisory board together for her construction company. Their first meeting will be in October. And she asked me to be part of her advisory board to uh, advisory committee to her board of directors. So, and we met through SWE 40 some odd years ago. So again, you never know where these opportunities come from. And I feel like I can definitely help her and her firm as she transitions her firm. So don't hesitate to say no, because when you do say no, you create time in your life to do the thing that you really want to do. And you feel you really can be engaged in and have a passion for. 
So the advice is important when you're a young in engineer in your career, and it changes a bit as you get on in your career. That's such great perspective and advice. I think when you're young, it's harder to have the long-term view, but both of you have illustrated just how amazingly this can evolve simply by making these efforts. And I, I want to actually add something else to this discussion. Sometimes there are, well, there are groups. I, I have belonged to groups and I do belong to groups that are very actively getting more women on corporate boards. One is the women corporate directors. One is women in the boardroom. There's also something called 50-50. And board opportunities are posted. Corporate board opportunities are posted through these organizations, and you have the opportunity to apply for these boards. And the interesting thing, and I actually did this, I'm, I'm an example. I had heard that women do this, and I didn't believe it until I did it myself. And that is on one particular board opening, there were a set of seven criteria. It said you had to have each, well, it didn't say you had to have each. It said the, the preferred candidate will be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And I looked at that list and I said, well, I have five of them. And so I'm not qualified. And then I went, I don't believe I just did this. This is what women do. They look at this list. They have to have eight out of the seven. And if they don't have that, they won't apply. I kicked myself around my office for about an hour. And then I responded and I put a beautiful cover letter together, which was actually used as an example of a cover letter that should be put together and I applied. Now, the stories I've to been told is that a man will look at that list of seven criteria and he will say, oh, look, I have two of them. I am 100% qualified. And so it's very important for us to support and to advocate for other women if we are aware of board openings, if we know that companies will have an opening in two or three or four years to make sure that we are starting to provide them names of candidates that are viable candidates for them to consider that are diverse candidates and that we are advocating and supporting the diversity of the boards for the ones that we have knowledge of and that we encourage other women to apply. There are training programs offered around the country for women who are interested in being considered for corporate boards. We should be advocating and supporting those women as well. Um, Jill, I think that's a, a great way to kind of circle back to our, our closing question, which is around the importance of diversity. You know, in Sweet Magazine, the article is about diversifying boards you know, it points out the uneven rates at which boards have diversified in regards to race, gender, sexual orientation. So what can listeners do at any point in their careers to help make things more equitable? Well, I think the first thing is like in many 12-step programs, awareness. So we have to have our antennas out. We have to be aware of what's going on. And it's interesting to me, there are women who are viable board candidates who, I was going to use the word poo-poo, but, you know, they, they just go, oh, not me, I'm not qualified, whatever. And so there really needs to be this active push from those of us who are aware of what the qualifications are and can see the matches 
between the women and the diverse candidates who have those skills to actually start to tell them that they are viable candidates. Years ago, I was sitting in at the University of Colorado parking lot for a groundbreaking ceremony. It was in the parking lot uh, for a new engineering board, a new engineering building at the University of Colorado. And I was seated next to a man who was a senior vice president of Public Service Company of Colorado and active in the trade organization, the Rocky Mountain Electrical League here in, well, in 16 states in the West. And he just turned to me and he said, Jill, you know, you're going to be president of that organization. Well, no, I didn't know. <laughs> I, I, did, I didn't know that. I didn't know that I was going to be president of that organization. I didn't know that I was going to be the first female board member. I didn't know I was going to be the first female president. But because he had that confidence in me and he could see that I had those skills and that's what we need to be doing. We need to be doing that for others and advocating for them, advocating for ourselves, advocating for others, looking for opportunities, suggesting viable candidates. I do that. It goes back to what Judy said in a previous answer. Sometimes opportunities that come Judy's way or that come my way aren't the right opportunity for us. But at that point in time, that's where we say, oh, but I know this person, or I know that person, or I know the other person, and that's a viable candidate for you that would match the needs that you have with her skill sets and her interests. So awareness, advocacy, and support. I totally agree. In fact, my notes for this question were to be realistic. And, you know, you can't expect if you're 30 years old that you're going to get on a corporate board necessarily. And you've got to put your time in in other organizations and, you know, get involved more in nonprofit boards so that you're then positioned better to be an effective outside director on a corporate board. It's so important to nominate others. I've gotten a lot of opportunities throughout my career. And at my company, there's a phrase that I've used for a long time, quote unquote, this would be good for you. Because, you know, it's sure I could do this, but in fact, if I gave somebody else at my company an opportunity, it would be good for them. It would be good for the company. And, you know, it may not have been my highest and best use, but it certainly would be theirs. So I think it's important to nominate others. And and also, if somebody reaches out to you about an opportunity and you're not interested or qualified, you don't have the time, whatever for it, give them some options because now you've just done a favor to somebody and they're going to remember you for that. I also think it's important to make introductions. You know, you should know so-and-so and I make sure I introduce people. And if people use LinkedIn, they should make sure that they look on LinkedIn. Oh, I'm looking for a connection at such and such a company. Who do I know that knows somebody there? And so use other opportunities like LinkedIn or the Sweet directory or whatever it is. I'm a firm believer that you cannot get a hit if you can't get to the plate. So figure out how do you get yourself to the plate to get the hit that'll turn into that run. And so you feel like you have contributed and you're doing something that fills you with joy and you feel that you are helping another organization in a way that other people couldn't. And we each bring our own particular skill sets to any opportunity we have. And for me, being an outside director on boards, I sometimes you know, get this feeling about oh, the imposter syndrome, which of course I first learned about through a SWE meeting many, many, many years ago. And then I say, what am I saying to myself? This is not the imposter syndrome. They expected me 
to come to this meeting and be an important contributor. And of course, I'm going to be an important contributor. And, you know, I'm not this guy, that guy, or the other guy on the board. I'm me, and they're not me. And each of us needs to be there. We each have a seat at the table, and we each have to open our mouths and participate. And that's why companies want you to be a part of their organizations, because they need your input. So the more we can all do to refer friends or put ourselves in a position to be considered, the better off we're going to be, the better off society will be, the better off companies will be. And I think just the outlook on women engineers will also improve. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And Judy and Jill, thank you so much for joining us today. I anticipated a great conversation with both of you, and it has far exceeded those expectations. To our listeners, I think we heard we have 90 years of collective experience <laughs> oh, and no. wisdom. Um, and, uh, and, and I think I think we've heard some great things and the importance of the SWE network, of being involved in other organizations, of paying it forward. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing that with our audience. Happy to do it. It was so much fun. Thank you. Thank you. And I'd like to, for our listeners, you can read more about transforming corporate boards in the fall issue of SWE Magazine, which is at magazine.swe.org. That's magazine.swe.org. And from all of us at SWE, thanks so much for listening. enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Remember to head to we21.swe.org to learn more about and register for this year's conference. 